You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Hands and Feet. Hello my radio friends. I'm glad you've tuned in today for another Give Me the Bible program. Today we'll begin with a true story. In 1921, Lewis Laws became the warden at the maximum security Sing Sing prison near the small town of Ossinging near the Hudson River about 45 kilometres north of New York. No prison was tougher than Sing Sing at that particular time. When Laws retired 20 years later, that prison had become a humanitarian institution. Laws was given the credit for the change. But when he was asked about the transformation, Laws said, I owe it all to my wonderful wife, Catherine, who is buried outside the prison walls. Catherine Laws was a young mother with three small children at the time. Laws became the warden at Sing Sing. Everybody warned her that it was unsafe to set foot inside the prison walls, but that didn't stop her. When the first prison basketball game was held, she went, walking into the gym with her three beautiful children and she sat in the stands with the prison inmates who were watching the game. Her attitude was, My husband and I are going to take care of these men, and I believe they will take care of me. I am not worried. Catherine insisted in becoming acquainted with the men, and she also studied their criminal records. She discovered one was a convicted murderer, who was blind, so she taught him to read Braille. Later, Catherine found a deaf-mute prisoner, so she went to school and learned how to use sign language. Many said that Catherine Laws was Jesus reincarnated in Sing Sing from 1921 to 1937. Then, unfortunately, she was killed in a car accident. Next morning, Lewis Laws didn't come to work, so the deputy warden took his place. It seemed almost instantly that the prisoners knew there was something wrong. The following day, Catherine's body was resting in a casket in her home, a little over a kilometre from the prison. As the deputy warden took his morning walk, he was shocked to see a large crowd of the toughest, hardened criminals gathered like a herd of animals at the main gate. As he came closer, he noticed tears of grief and sadness. He realised how much these men loved Catherine. At the gate, he stopped, turned to the men, and addressed them with these words. All right, men, you can go. 
Just be sure to be back tonight for roll call. Then he opened the gate, and a parade of criminals walked without any guards the distance to the law's home, and stood in line to pay their final respects to Catherine. That night, every one of those prisoners checked in back at Sing Sing. Every single one of them. What an amazing story! This story causes me to think about the expression, "We may be the only evidence of Jesus." Some people will ever know. Catherine was that to those criminals. In fact, as you may remember, some actually thought she was Jesus. Catherine was symbolically Jesus' hands and feet. What an awesome privilege and responsibility rests upon Christians. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And those who are always present to listen to him said, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." And that's found in John, chapter thirteen, verses thirty-four and thirty-five. Jesus did not mean that we should only love those who are closest to us. That's relatively easy. Although you might be aware of some dysfunctional families, where hate and disrespect is the rule. Jesus meant that his followers, his disciples, Christians, in other words, should show care, respect, and love to everybody. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a perfect illustration of what Jesus meant. Now, according to the Pew Templeton Global Religious Features Project, 31% of the world's population is classified as Christian. That represents about 2.2 billion Christians. That being so. The world should be overflowing with love. Reality, however, reveals that such is not always the case. Although it should be stated that many Christians are involved in charity work to help the less fortunate, I've given quite some thought to this issue, and it's my strong opinion that if you were to take away all the good work done by Christians around the world, This tired old planet would be in a much more sorry state than it is. Many non-government organisations, often Christian organisations, are involved in charity work, disaster relief, refugee camps, and other such work. And then there's the day-to-day work where Christians help the needy. And do neighbourly deeds without any expectation of reward. Recorded in John twelve verse forty-six, is an interesting statement made by Jesus. He said, "I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me 
should stay in darkness. In John 18.12, Jesus says something else about the same sort of thing. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What did he mean? Jesus meant that in and through him, people could know truth, the truth about sin, the truth about salvation and the truth about God. Light is often used as a metaphorical descriptor of correct knowledge, of truth, and is the opposite of darkness, which is a descriptor of ignorance or lies. But Jesus made another powerful statement in Matthew 5, verse 14. He said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So, Christians are to be truthful, to be truth-filled, and are to reflect, no, rather are to radiate the love and nature of God wherever and whenever they may be. Now that's the ideal. But unfortunately people's sinful natures and the deceitful lies of the enemy Satan have infiltrated into some Christian ranks. Of the approximately 30,000 Christian religions around the world, there's a lot of error that's taught and believed. I'm very aware of this because I've been part of a large interdenominational Bible study group and I realise that some things taught in some Christian churches do do not match up with what the Bible says. The Bible must be the foundation of all Christian teachings. Otherwise those teachings are nothing but tradition dressed up to make it appear holy. There is no light in error. And I'm sad to say that many popular Christian churches hold beliefs that are in opposition to what the Bible teaches, and those teachings are therefore error. Isaiah 8 verse 20 makes a very definitive statement about truth and error. And it pulls no punches. And it says this, To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this work, sorry, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Those who teach about spiritual matters must use the word of God honestly. Otherwise, they're just spouting forth their own philosophical ideas. The other aspect of being the light of the world is revealing the nature of God to others. In 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4, is this statement. Now, by this we do know that we know him, that's God, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly 
the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he, referring to Jesus, walked. So two issues are revealed in this passage of scripture I just read to you. Issue one is about doing God's will, keeping his commandments. Issue two is about living a lifestyle, as did our example, Jesus. I mentioned a little earlier about error that is taught in various different church groups. One of these errors is that God's holy Ten Commandments were abolished at Calvary, so therefore they do not apply anymore. What a load of rubbish! That teaching is contrary to what Jesus taught and practiced, what the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, the Apostle Jude and the Apostle James taught and also practiced. In effect, what that false, false teaching does is to try to absolve any personal responsibilities from church members. Some may claim, Ah, oh, Jesus did it all for us. We can't do anything. It's all up to him. We are saved through his grace, and so therefore we're okay. Have they not read the New Testament and read of the expectations God has that we make correct choices to live pure and holy lives, choices that mean rejecting the bad and choosing the good? The last chapter of Ephesians speaks about the need to put on the whole armour of God and then to take a stand against the enemy, Satan. Now, taking a stand has to involve personal effort. The Christian life is more than just receiving. It involves giving as well. Now, here's an illustration. Most of you would have heard about the Dead Sea, sometimes known as the Salt Sea, situated between Israel and Jordan. The Jordan River ends up in it, so there's no flow through from the other side, so all the accumulated salt carried in the river stays in this large lake. The water is useless because of the high salt content. Any Christian who maintains that it is only necessary to receive input without there being any output is as useless as the Dead Sea. We're going to stop and have a break and go on straight afterwards.
Before the break, I was sharing with you one of the two issues coming from that verse I read to you from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The two issues are, firstly, about doing God's will and keeping his commandments. And the second issue is about living a lifestyle as did our example, Jesus Jesus' lifestyle was all about doing good for and to others. His ministry was a ministry of hope and care. He ministered to the people's spiritual needs and to their physical needs. Jesus was truthful, and his personal life was honest without being any dark, hidden agendas. Every part of his life could be carefully examined, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing, that could be used to condemn him. What an example for us to follow. But you know, as Jesus lived what he believed, so too must we. In our garden at home, we have two apricot trees. The excess fruit we dry in the summer and as a result, we have our own dried apricots the whole year round. One of the trees, the trevat, although it gives delicious fruit, is known for a problem. In the hot weather, the fruit begins to rot from the inside out, beginning around the stone. And it's not unusual to pick a beautiful-looking apricot, only to be disappointed when it's cut open. Instead of being consistently luscious all through, the inner flesh has become brown and discoloured near the stone. That fruit, of course, is then discarded. And Jesus did not look good only on the outside. He was good all the way through. And that is what is required of us. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus instructed his people, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus did not say, Make your light shine, 
but to let it shine. So what's the difference? Well, make it shine suggests a forced effort. Let it shine implies simply allowing what's already there to flow out. Just as you cannot get blood from a stone, so good deeds cannot flow out of someone who's full of selfishness and evil. But good deeds are a natural consequence of Christ dwelling within us. Some of you may know the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. It's a great song and expresses a choice to be a positive influence to other people because of the goodness within oneself. One of the very last speeches Jesus made before his crucifixion is recorded in Matthew chapter 25, and it's a judgment scene which is pictured with Jesus being the judge and the people as sheep and goats. Often farmers in those eastern countries had flocks of sheep and goats that grazed together. Sheep were more valuable than goats as they provided wool. As the flock made its way through a narrow raceway, sheep were graded out into one yard for shearing and the goats were graded out separately. The question is, what criteria will Jesus use to judge people? The sheep, the valuable ones, or the righteous ones, the ones who will be given eternal life, are the ones who let the goodness that is within them come out by what they do for others. Verse 37 to 40 says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you, or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. There are two aspects to letting one's light shine. The first is knowing, believing, and sharing truth. And the second is an outworking of the truth the goodness that is within us, because we've been accepted, because we have accepted, rather, the grace of God. <clears throat> For anyone who follows Christ, two things are necessary. Firstly, to understand and take to heart the truth of what is recorded in the Bible. And secondly, to allow that truth to be shared with others by doing good works. I recognise that some church groups are strong in what they regard as doctrine, and others are strong in doing good for others. But there needs to be a balance, as outlined in the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Most people are able to comprehend the first bit that simply means to be the hands and feet of the Lord. That's religion in action. But we must not overlook the other aspect 
of keeping ourselves untainted by the world. That involves caring for ourselves by maintaining a close relationship with the Lord. It means living a righteous life, by obeying God's commandments, by studying our Bibles to know what is truth. It means praying and putting into practice what we know is right. To summarise what James wrote, I'd like to put it this way. True religion is where someone is willing to care for the needs of others while nurturing their own personal spiritual needs. Effective Christianity is both outward and inward, not just one or the other. It's time to stop. I hope this program has been helpful for you today about how we can be the hands and feet of the Lord and how we can be the light of the world while being those hands and feet of Jesus. Until next time then, I wish you God's blessings and much peace and joy. <laughs> 